Well, we're back. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. That's right. Happy New Year, all. Yep. For those of you who are just now joining us in, I am Six. I'm MVP. And our third man, Shoreline, is not in at the moment. He is currently doing uh, off uh, offsite work, but this is Council uh, for Maintenance. You almost said offshore. Offshore. <laughs> offshore, <laughs> doing offshore work. <laughs> Shady stuff. He's doing ninja stuff. <laughs> I think he's uh, probably recovering from his New Year's Eve job, which was working uh, a big show for some comedians up in Seattle, I think. Yeah, that was pretty dope. He yeah, gets all the cool I'm, jobs. I know. Unfortunately, it was a no phone show, so no pictures or or clips uh, to share with anybody from that event. But at least he'll have memories in his mind. <laughs> for as long as they stay there, right? <laughs> That's right. Until until they're not. <laughs> well, for those of you, we this is Cancel for Maintenance, where we talk about the gritty underbelly that is aviation maintenance and a lot of stuff in between to keep us all entertained and possibly not kill ourselves from overstress and overwork. <laughs> but let's face it, it's going to happen. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> the, the stress is definitely going to overhappen. If it's not killing us immediately, it's killing us slowly, right? <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I saw some pictures of myself from, uh, let's see. Uh, so friends of mine from a, a job I worked in the past sent me a clip and they were watching, uh, for those of you who have Paramount Plus uh, streaming service, I guess there's a show on there, a documentary on there called Space Billionaires. And so there's a picture of me standing on, you know, on the flight line talking with, and I can't remember who the person was in the picture at that time. Um, but I was talking with somebody on there and I was looking at my hair and my beard and not not really any gray in it still all brown youthful uh full of life and then i look at myself in the mirror now and it's uh damn near all gray (laughs) and that's only been almost five years so pretty wild uh to say the least very very Uh, but the stress is a is a very real thing Yes, I can agree. And as you're saying this, like, man, I'm like picturing, looking at all these pictures of myself, like in the in the room, like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> right. So exactly what I said too. I'm like, how? <laughs> so they say some people age like wine. Well, I'm aging like milk. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, man. Like, what the fuck's that smell? Is that, why is there cheese in here? <laughs> It's not pretty cheese. Much, pretty much cottage cheese at this point. <laughs> curdled. All curdled. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? What's, what's the subject of today? So today, let's talk about like distance learning or electronic distance learning or e-distance learning. The Zoom boom, as a lot of people have come to know it as. Or the it, air quotes, new norm. The new norm? What is that? <laughs> so a lot of, well, if, if you had to have do any type of work in the last three years, you would know like when the pandemic hit, a lot of stuff had to shift around. Most of it was either you had to learn a new skill set. You had to learn how to get real good with things you've never tried before, us included. And a lot of it, especially for those with kids, had to discover this new thing called online distance learning. for kid i mean for like say college 
uh, students, it's not that new. Like they've been doing online learning. But with kids, <laughs> let me tell you, that's a whole different beast in itself. And then, and then now with the workforce transitioning to a lot of distance learning because they can't do a lot of in-person training, like say for uh, hands-on safety classes or practical training, whatever that case is, it all has to move to online. And so when, when they did this shift, they just kind of went with whatever solution was most affordable and had a decent curriculum to teach people stuff. But if any of you out there have ever tried this, you would immediately know that some of this stuff had a lot of gaps in the training. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, especially for maintainers, right? Whether it's auto, aviation, uh, industrial equipment, you know, heavy machinery, whatever you want to say. I mean, I feel like the CBTs specifically for the aviation industry are all CYA or cover your ass, right? It's one of those that they can say that if you mess something up, they can say, well, on this date, you had this training. So now we can hold your ass to the fire. But, but I can tell you from my own personal experience that, yeah, I still, I still am doing CBTs, but for me, the only way I learn is by doing OJT or on the job training, like actually hands on. So you can see what, I mean, yeah, maybe you do a, a course, you do a CBT and then you go do the, OJT. It shouldn't just be CBT and you're oh you're clear to the floor. Head out there and you're you're good to go on anything because that's how it's treated. But it shouldn't be treated that way because anybody can read words on a page, but to put hands to it, you know, that's a whole other whole other level. Right, and then certain things, you know, you can kind of get away with it, right? Like uh, flight line safety rules, like just the rules, not the actual like driving on the line or. Uh, pointing out certain marks on the line and stuff like that, but just kind of like simple recognition, like this double yellow line, do not cross ever. This red blinking light, do not t- do not cross ever. Or this blue blinking light, right? Don't be within X amount of feet or yards or meters or whatever from it. Easy shit. But like you were saying, some people or some industries, they just take this uh, bait computer online training and call it law. And he's like, oh, well, you got the training check mark in the box. Have a good day. I'm like, wait a minute. That's it. And this kind of reminds me of a funny story. One of my coworkers was telling me um, his security camera system was all acting all wonky. And so he got pissed as anyone should. He called the company to send another guy to come take a look at it. And when he got his uh, security camera uh, system looked at the, the previous uh, installer, did everything, all sorts of fucked up. <laughs> and so this guy is like, you know, he's like asking my coworker friend, like all sorts of questions. Like, did he do this? Did he do that? Any of this? And it's just like nose across the board. And so he spent like the next five, six hours fixing the system. And at the end of it, I was like, all right, your, your security system's all good to go. Should all work fine. And then my coworker friend, he's like, why the fuck was it all fucked up in the first place? And the second installer says like, well, see before the, uh, like the security installer, people have to go to like this three week course over this one other place nowadays, because of uh, the pandemic and shit, they just give them this computer-based training, which is like two weeks long, but they don't do any hands-on of actual installation and shit. 
So the guy who installed his, his system the first time was one of those computer-based training students. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, and so, and so <clears throat> with that, right, again, the CBT and your release to the field, but like in a deployed setting where it's mission-based, right, I'll do whatever it takes to get the bird in the air. You say, well, you know, just do OJT with them. Just teach them while they're there. Yeah, we can teach them. They're going to learn a lot here, trial by fire, but they need to have more of an understanding before they get here. Like I can't, I can't spend my entire day for the first two months that they're here training them on everything they need to do. Like I also need them to be able to function a little bit on their own. So unfortunately they get, you know, the lesser jobs or we'll just say the bitch work initially because you don't have time all the, you know, to train them like, Hey, Hey, we got to do this uh, engine change and we have to get it done in a shift because this asset needs to get back up to get over target for X, Y, Z. Right. Okay. So it's one of those, like I can't stand there and, and answer their questions every five minutes or tell them every step of the way, like me and, one other person with experience, we're just going to tackle this thing. You guys can just do launch recovery and then you can go and empty out the waste oil drums or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Just the easy stuff. Right. And that, and that's, um, and that's with anything other than just a deployed setting, like anywhere where like schedule is critical, they're not going to stick the new guy or the, the less knowing person on that job because it's schedule critical, right? You, like, we have to have four planes ready for a three in one go in like 45 minutes or something like something extreme like that. They're not going to stick the new guy on it. Um, and uh, another sense you're get, if you say if you're even on a deployed setting or out of field setting, you send them that way, they're going to learn that deployed or out of field setting, which is get it done, do it now. And then you come back to like a more controlled environmental yeah regulated setting they're gonna not know what the fuck to do because they just said like like oh you can't change the oil filter that way or you can't fuel the aircraft that way i'm like what (laughs) yeah we all learn uh air quotes hacks in the field to get things done faster more efficiently right um but over there it's you know nobody would ever condone that as being the right way to do it but everybody Mm -hmm. does it because it's what is necessary to get it done. And, and, and to be fair, nothing catastrophic is happening, happening doing the hack way, but it's not by the book for verbatim. Right. So mm-hmm. nobody will condone it, but everybody understands that it's happening for that mission. But unfortunately when people are trained in that environment and I myself am guilty of this, when you're trained in the deployed environment and you come back to your home base where everything is by the book to the T uh, you get, you get kind of called out and uh, chastised pretty quick mm-hmm. for not following the book, and you're going, "Well, this is how I've done it for the last year overseas." Well, that's not how you you were trained. Well, I, it was, but I guess per the CBT, I wasn't right. So, <laughs> right, right. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that that brings up so many memories because I remember getting lit up for a bunch of stuff like that, like. You're not supposed to do that. Like, well, what did you, what do you want me to do? This is how we were trained to do. Like, no, it wasn't like, yeah, it was <laughs> look, look at it. <laughs> but this was back when the, your training records were very vague and it was just like install engine. Sure did. <laughs> that was it. There wasn't like, 
did you follow procedures? Did you follow this? Did you sign it off correctly? It just said install engine. Like, yep, that's I sure did. Where there well, so the I, right- I can tell you from like my first job, right? <clears throat> they, their training program was actually pretty extensive. Um, from the day you walk in the door. Now, let's say the training course only runs every so often because they need to get enough new hires on to warrant a decent sized class. So depending on when you get hired, like for myself, I got hired and went straight into the training class, but there were guys in my training who had been there for a month or two months already. And all they do is follow around the more experienced person on the, on the line, learning how to, you know, safer maintenance and how to uh, wing walk and how to, you know, stand fire bottle, all that kind of real low level trivial BS, I guess that Mm -hmm. that's associated with it. Then we go into the training, but their training was six weeks long and you did everything on that AV. I mean, you learned how to, to jack the aircraft, how to swing gear, how to remove the gear, reinstall, how to take out actuators and reinstall, how to do every bit of servicing on that AV, um, engine removals, engine installs, prop removals, prop installs, how to, uh, balance the propeller, how to, um, you know, there's uh, turbo chargers on the one motor. And so we learned how to rig the uh, waste gates and, and how to rig servos and how to do all these things. <clears throat> so when you hit the, hit the, the flight line, you, you're not as experienced because you haven't done it a hundred times. Right. But you have a broad knowledge or a, a more in-depth knowledge of uh, how to do most, most every job on the AV because you've already done it versus if it's, you know, moving several companies over the years and some of the companies showed up and it was literally just a piece of paper that they said, just get it signed off when you can. <laughs> and that was your training. Right. You're like, I, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I've seen somewhere like they went in depth as like how to paint an aircraft a certain way, uh, like with these special paints. And all it was, was just like this 30 minute slide. It wasn't like, it, I guess they could call it a CBT or like an actual, like, where a course where it's like you stuff you got to interact with but this one it was literally just like a like a, a pdf and you can honestly just have scrolled to the very end not read a single word and just say yes i understand and boom you're certified like really man oh and, yeah i I've mean paints are, too. <laughs> paints are pretty big deal man like especially with certain paints like uh like some of those like yeah they have to be bonded a certain way they have to be prepped a certain way they can only be sprayed on certain kind of metals a certain way or composite a certain way, whatever, whatever the case may be. And now this person is air quote certified because he read air quote read the PDF. No, man. <laughs> well, and then you get leadership that goes, well, just scroll through and sign it real quick. And you're like, well, don't you want me to read through it? No, you're not. You weren't hired as a painter. So hey, you just have to do this because you work on the, the vehicle and you deal with the surface of the vehicle and you just need to know, kind of how this is applied and how it's protected, but you're never actually, you'll never actually do the job. Well, why don't we just have like a, a go, no go training then? I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like why? <clears throat> but it's just one of those. That's just, it's just, it's all, like I said in the beginning, it's all, it's all CYA. Mm-hmm. It's also, we can hold your ass to the fire later for when you inevitably mess something up. Cause we all have, and you will. <laughs> Now, there are some, there's different types of online training and it benefits some people, some people. There's like a, the, 
like the online training where it's like a no kidding class where you all are all synced up and you have to like show your face to the teacher, kind of like how uh, kids were for the last year and then some change. Where like uh, you're you're you can see each other's faces, you see the teacher talking, you guys get the material, and then they have like this little um, assignment tab or whatever for you guys to fill out. And then there's the other one where it's like self-paced, where it's almost like not even a class. It's kind of just like here. It's kind of like independent study. Like here, here's the material. You have this long to, f- to f- uh, finish everything. And go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. You, they hand you a syllabus at the beginning of the year and it has every course you're going to do mm-hmm. until the end of the, the school year. And they say you have until the end of the school year to get it done. And you always get some people that knock out everything in the first six months and then you get some people that wait till the last month to try to do a whole year's worth of stuff it it, you know it's what a garbage what a garbage system like well it's self-paced i'm like well what are you here for then as the teacher right what Mm -hmm. am i learning from you because like well you know you learn more from just doing it hands-on yourself and and actually reading the material yourself without me assigning and this and that and you're like oh okay i guess i see some value that but that's also very much dependent upon the individual to take mm-hmm. the initiative. Right. Right. And, and, and for most of us, we're going to go, nah, just get me out to the floor so I can start working and making money. Mm-hmm. And then that's the big one out of it for online learning is it depends on the person. Cause um, a lot of industries will see this as, a, oh, okay, this is our catch off to kind of just give divvy out and distribute the, the training, which in a way it is, but it also depends on the motivation and the, hard work and the work ethic of a, of that individual to a get it done and b actually absorb the material because we've all done this at one time or another you see a, uh, a cbt assigned to you you're just going to click all the way to the end take the test and however many times it takes for you to pass and then you're on the floor again now some programs they they time out after so many fails or they reset you after so many fails but it doesn't really teach you anything it just teach you how to take a test or vice versa there's other ones where like you take like this 30 minute cbt or whatever the case may be and they give you like this laundry list of an ojt sheet and they say go ahead and get it done they don't assign you somebody to uh help you figure it out they don't assign you like a um a shift to help you figure it out they just like here's your here's your stuff you have six months get it done i'm like uh okay and like, well, what do I do? Who do, who do I go to? And assuming like, you're not like one of those socially, uh, butterfly people where you can just like run up to a random person. Hey, can you sign up my OJT sheet for doing this? I'm like, sure. But then it also can turn around to be like, uh, the OJT sheet turns into like this pencil whip thing, right? You just get someone who's cool buddies with you and then you just like blast through all the OJT sheets. Yeah. Or it's one of those, like you were there for a job that they were doing, you weren't actively involved. You just happened to be in the vicinity and witness it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, ah, you were there. You saw what happened, signed off. And you're like, yeah, but you, they didn't, they weren't hands-on. They didn't learn, let's say for aircraft jacking, right. They didn't operate the Jack. They didn't learn what they were supposed to do. They weren't listening to the commands. They, they weren't part of the process. They, they didn't, they don't see where the level goes on the AV to know that it's level. And, you know, there's, there's different stuff to it. Right. So Mm -hmm. they didn't know where they need to place the jacks. You know, if the floor is a little uneven, right. Um, they need to learn what, what to look for in the jack to make sure it gets the most points of contact to the floor as possible to be as safe as possible. Um, 
there's all sorts of other things just beyond uh, pumping the jack up and bleeding the pressure down for, you know, raising right. or lowering the AV. Right. It's not like uh, like changing the tire in your car where like it's okay if it tips over so many uh, degrees versus like a plane, you know, like all this stuff, it's all being held on by cert- by specific load bearing points. And if those things are, are not set right or if it's not um, engaged correctly, then the whole it throws off the whole CG of the plane. It throws off its flight critical surfaces, all sorts of scary shit that could happen. And you won't even realize it until it goes in the air. And Right. Or, and they don't learn what panels are structural that need to be installed before you before you raise that AV in the air. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't risk damaging the airframe. But they don't. But but they sign them off. Oh, you were there. You witnessed it. Well, yeah, they saw the thing move up and move down, and people pumping on the jack and bleeding pressure off. But they didn't see what panels have to be installed. Uh, what's the you know what's the what's the number of uh, points of that must be contacting the floor to be to be safe on the jacks. What where do the jack pad adapters get installed on the airframe? Right. Mm-hmm. For all they saw from their distance, they just, oh, it just goes up, touches the wing, and pushes it up. So next thing you know, they're punching a jack straight through the lower skin. Um, which which I have seen. <laughs> I've seen them do me that. Me too. Me, me too. That's why I use this as the example. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, they use the wrong kind of jack, right? Now, for, yep. for most cases, right, if you're in a specific shop, they have jacks that's universal to most. But you might have some where, like, you're in an MRO where you have multiple types of aircraft coming in and out so you might put like a like say a 737 jack on a 777 or some shit like that it's pretty hard to fuck it up but i've seen people do it i mean people put skydraw in the in the fuel system for god's sake <laughs> the oil system skydraw in the oil system yeah like come on now like it's not even or, meant to be or, in there or nitrogen in the o2 system like oh what, my god what the fuck? you know it yeah. just blows my mind like you you were a cbt sign off weren't you like who does that how do you how do you do that put a nitrogen in the oxygen system they're like different fittings different service ports different systems altogether and the and the tanks are different colors i just i don't get it (laughs) but that goes into like like uh how the training is just either glazed over or the person themselves they just like they just blasted through it didn't read a thing or didn't retain a thing and there wasn't anything to reinforce the training so i think that's like one of the biggest things too especially like even with like in-person classroom training like uh i know a lot of uh, people doing the new airbus training they actually have to sit in a classroom and they just get blasted with so much info now for some people like they're very scholarly like and they can retain shit and they have like this hardcore memory recall but for an average person, that's like a lot of info to keep. And then you're just left on your own to figure out how to do the OJT. There's like not like a class to like at least show you how to do it or at least give you like an intro. Like here's what the here's what the tire would do. Here's how you guys would air cool do it. But we just don't have the tools because we're training and no one gives a fuck about us. <laughs> and uh, we don't have the budget to actually let you touch it. So here's what it is. Uh, get kind of familiar with how it's supposed to work. And then here's a group of guys that are actually doing it. You can't touch it yet because you're not certified, but just know like, this is what you're going to do. Like, okay. I kind of get it, but no, it is like, here's your, here's your class. Go and do great things. Like, Oh fuck. 
So that's why I view the engineer training, right? And I think engineers need to go through the same hands-on that the maintainers do. Because to me, engineers are good at math, but can't mm-hmm. apply any of that to their hands. <laughs> and so when you see the designs or mods that you're doing on certain things, you're going, "Who the, have they even seen this aircraft before? Mm-hmm. Like, why would they design it this way? Because all they see is a drawing. And, it, and they always say, in theory... In theory, per our per our calculations, it should it should fit. Yeah, I can make it fit, but let me show you a better way, right? Right. And that's where the hands-on comes into play, where where if you're only CBT based, then you know you would know. In your CBT, you go, okay, well, it should be able to fit this way, but the hands-on would tell you that, well, there's several components in the way of that, so I need to either rethink about the design or know that I have to incorporate the removal of these other components in this mod to facilitate completion of this mod. Right. And then they wonder why, like specifically for modifications, we're like, why is it taking so long? Why do we have to do all this extra shit? Like, well, because redlining the shit out of everything. Yeah. Or like, like because- oh, the mods only five steps long. Well, yeah, to do the mod, but you got to remove half of the guts of the AV to get to empty out this bay to perform the mod. Right. <laughs> Like that wasn't in our plan. Like, well, it should have been because <laughs> now, been, yeah, because now we're going to have to retest every single one of these components before we can go flight ready. Yeah. We have a month's worth of ops checks to do. Like, well, but, this, mo- this mod was supposed to be done in a week. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, mod the mod will- itself will be done in a week, but we, that'll be after the month of gunning and the month of reinstalling. And then the month of ops checks that fall after that, you know, yeah. like, holy shit. I think I remember an episode, uh, a conversation that with Coyote about like glass cockpit modifications where like you go from full analog to glass and they don't uh-huh. realize, they don't realize like a, it doesn't fit or B it's too short. So they have to do some other red line mod. And then once it's all together, like, well, now this equals to about two months of, uh, functional tests before we can actually like send this thing on its way. Like, yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> well, welcome to the club, everybody. Thanks for showing up. Right. Appreciate so this the- article says, how can we embrace the positives associated with the increased use of technology with particular focus on the future of education and aviation? So you know, with the whole pandemic and everything, and it just feels like it's never going away and everybody having to adapt constantly. Um, we have to, what can we do to embrace the positives or I guess what are the positives I mean, I say, I say a positive was like, A, like at least you're, uh, you're giving yourselves an opportunity to make an actual difference in the training because beforehand, right? You just got to have someone who's just extremely smart and just hoping that he's in your shop and he's a, he or she is available to give training. So at least now you can pick their brain and like, okay, we're going to put this down on a syllabus, some kind of a syllabus. And then we're going to give, give this max distribution so at least everyone has some bit of your brain into the training and then th- this this is all cor- uh, down to the training department and the and the people who control the process itself is like they have to ensure that it's updated x amount of times in a year to make sure that everything's current because how many times have we seen that too where like we get this online based training and a lot of the shit is out of date or it's long since obsolete like they don't even make this no more man <laughs> yeah but how do we how do we that, that's again that's taking people taking the initiative right to ensure that that's getting done because oftentimes people create the one training and go well 
I'm done with that. Wash my hands of it. And never look at it again. It's everybody else's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, without me having to come through and, and hit them with a, with an I car. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Or like but the, the article kind of goes into this, right? So it says, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, there were even studies to about the, uh, maturity of online education. Um, and really it says it's people's perception of distance learning alternatives to traditional classroom based learning. So, uh, it it really comes down to what it's saying. It really comes down to your view of it. How do you view online training? Some people love it. Some people hate it. And so it's only going to benefit those who put forth the effort to do it. Um, but even at that, you're still hindered by the lack of hands-on. But then you get some that are like, ah, just screw it. I'll just wait until this is all blows over and I can go back to doing hands-on. So again, it's just, it's all down to the individual's perception of the, distance learning right and and i think this is kind of like where us or everyone as a as a leader mindset can really step in on this and be like okay you i would i would say i would use the cbt as like a a familiarization thing shy of an actual like sit down classroom it's like you at least are familiar with the idea now we'll just reinforce it with actual hands-on right or or you can use like the hand or you can do hands-on and have the cb the cbt as like a as a reinforcement, like you will do hands-on, but before anything else, before you leave, make sure you do these X amount of um, CBTs for, for uh, reinforcement. I know for some companies, they have to do sort like a, what's it called? A continuous learning uh, education where like they, they have to have so many points in a year to be considered like uh, fully trained. You, you know what yeah, I mean? I think my, my sister is a speech pathologist and I think for her field, I know she has recurrent training. She must do annually in order to retain her license. And if those, any of those trainings expire, um, the state pulls her license until, till she submits those trainings. Yeah. And I think the so, same, and I think the same is with nurses too. Like, yeah. uh, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. Well, so what I was going to say was, so like where I'm at now, we've we've had some incidents recently where like somebody damaged uh, really expensive equipment with a forklift. And so we said, OK, well, you know, remove, decertify them from uh, forklift driving until they retake the course. And man everybody it, it, you know this goes back to everybody's perception everybody lost their minds you know oh my god decertify you don't have the authority to decertify i said well what do you propose we do to ensure that this individual doesn't get right back on the forklift this afternoon and do the same thing over again right so how else do we control that mm-hmm. well decertify is a really strong word and you know this I was, okay well so cancel his training, uh, remove his training, uh, erase suspend. his training until he does suspend it. Like what? I don't care what word you use. I'm just telling you, this is how we control it. Right. So, you know, it, again, that's all based on company perceptions and what they really give a shit about at any one time. Right. Oh, but back to of- the distance learning. So this article defines distance learning as a method of study in which lectures are broadcast or lessons are conducted by correspondence without the student needing to attend a school or college. 
Effectively, distance learning delivery can be broken down into two main approaches, which could um, still be blended into a hybrid solution. And those two um, two approaches are synchronous and asynchronous. So synchronous means at the same time. It refers to a method of education delivery that happens in real time and requires live communication, for instance, online. Uh, it uses technology such as a teleconferencing to achieve this. Synchronous can be, by its very nature, it's uh, is of course less flexible. Hold on, let me, let me restart. This. Synchronous learning, by its very nature, is of course less flexible as students must meet with their instructor and classmates at pre-scheduled times. This approach also limits the students' ability to learn at their own pace and in their own space and time. That's so I think with the synchronous meaning, um, hey, we're we're it's like what the kids were doing in school over the last couple of years. They have to log in by a certain time every day and they're with their classmates and their teacher uh, talking back and forth over zoom or whatever the platform is they're using. Um, and they have, you know, certain, like you have to, you had to swing by the school and pick up packets for their homework and the kids would still have to come home and actually write down, you know, and complete assignments and this and that to which you would then put back in the envelope and drop back off at the school for the teachers to grade. I think that's maybe a version of synchronous or like in some of the jobs that I've had where you would sit in the classroom in the morning time. So from beginning a shift to lunch, it was all CBTs. And then from lunch to the end of shift was all applying what you learned in that CBT into OJT. Right. And I think that's, an excellent right let's read about it let's learn about it and now let's go see what that actually is right and, and I, put eyes on it put hands on it and and apply what we've read to what to what it actually is right and i and i think personally that's the best formula right is that that's um what do you call it explain demonstrate implement and then practice right yep. i think that's like the the best formula there is there is for any kind of training really right you you explain it, you demonstrate what it's supposed to look like, you let that you implement like controls or an environment where the students themselves can do it, and then you practice it. Just like there you go. Like uh like uh safety wire boards, you know? Um, yep. um we have like different kind of fasteners and different kind of um uh set setups where you have to load how to safety wire certain things and just let them go at it. Like here you have like three hour uh, an hour and a half or whatever, just go nuts and see how many you can get done without fucking it up. <laughs> yeah. We also had something like that for electrical, right? We would have to build these harnesses and connectors. And then we had like this board where you would plug in your cable and you would throw certain switches to do certain things. And, you know, if you got a fault light, you had to figure out, you had to troubleshoot, essentially learn to troubleshoot your own harness that you built and figure out where you messed up. Oh, I didn't fully seat this pin in the connector all the way or there's an actual break in this line or you know what? I read the drawings wrong and I pinned it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of stuff. Right. Now, asynchronous dis distance learning uh, in asynchronous distance learning, students may achieve clusters of weekly deadlines. They have the freedom to work at their own space and time and at their own speed. Students can access course content beyond the scheduled meeting or class times, but still interact flexibly with peers through online conversations, quizzes, or videos. Now that is like what my college courses were. That was all asynchronous. You right. The course was what five weeks long, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And then you could see each week what was due and what the assignment was. You could work ahead. You could just go week to week. You could wait until the very end and turn it all in the last, you know, do all the work from all five weeks in the last week and turn it in at that time, whatever the case may be. Um, right. Now yeah. I can see, I can see like the synchronous learning be very beneficial to pilots because, you know, like they're like, it's one set of rules. It's one set of uh, like, um, uh, regulations that they got to know or, or say like uh, you got like the like these online simulators right where you can just play around with it on your personal computer right it doesn't right. have to be anything fancy like you got like a, a simulated throttle controller or whatever you can just be like when this light comes on what happens like oh this one or what or when you hear this warning what happens like oh this one right but that's good familiarization because we're not going to have that kind of money to stick a, po- a brand new never before flown pilot into a seat and just say have fun <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's where flight sims really come into play because you can then induce faults, you know, whatever kind of fault, and then how, how you apply what you've read in your flight manuals, how to counteract and resolve and fix or how to deal with said said issue uh, I can't, without, you know, without being in an actual, you know, multi-million dollar aircraft at 40,000 feet trying to figure it out. <laughs> that's part right. of your training. I, I kind of wish they had like one of those kind of sims, but for mechanics, right? Like, though this kind of fault came on. What do you do? Oh shit! Right? And uh, yeah, so I know it depends on the company and what what they chose to develop into training. But like, there were there would be like we had like the fault isolation boards, like with cables and stuff like that, but. We would have things if you were running an engine and you received this fault, what are you supposed to do? How do you react to it? And this mm-hmm. and that. And now like simulators can be sort of set up that way as well, but like for engine run specific stuff. Mm-hmm. So like like a lot of mechanics, at least in like the corporate realm, are also taxi qualified, high speed taxi qualified, engine run qualified, whatever on on that airframe. So like for me, I would get in, start it up, taxi out. Uh, make all the radio calls to the tower, do high-speed taxi checks or engine run checks, and then uh, bring it back to the ramp, park it, shut it down, all that kind of stuff. So you could, I guess, do that kind of training in a simulator. But I guess if you were actually, you know, that's when you was, okay, what do you do in this case? But but I guess if you're just doing normal objects, oh, we got this fault, mother, shut everything down, Let's let's figure out what it is, you know? Right. Uh, or or kind of like a like a troubleshooting training, you know, because that's another one that really needs to get. Uh, man, the, and troubleshooting for me was all learned just mm-hmm. by doing right, just by by actually getting a real time fault and having to figure it out again, trial by fire. But it would be nice if, like, if you were like in Yasa, right? You're only trained on three airframes, so it would be nice to have. Okay, if you receive this fault what do you do if you receive this fault and i guess those are all fault isolation manual type stuff but um i don't know i agree i get what you're saying though right where you have like a board and you're working through and all of a sudden bing this light goes off oh what is that oh, okay i got a 2ia fault oh what's a 2ia fault right and you, but again that's all fault isolation manual stuff if if you, the airframe has a good fault isolation manual which it should not all of them do but it should it should right and and you can't catch everything, which is another big thing about training is a lot of you get a lot of people that would argue with you and say like, well, that what it didn't tell me what not to do. Like, 
excuse me? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I hate those arguments. Cause like, well, it didn't tell me not to do that. Like it, it kind of did because it says, this is what you shall do. So this is like your limited box of what you're able to do. So anything outside of that is a do not. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. It says do this, but it didn't tell me I couldn't kill the motors mid flight. Well, yeah. Yeah. But why kill the good motor? Well, it didn't tell me not to kill the good motor. Well, okay. All right. But why, why kill the good motor? Right. Now you have no power. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, let's not do that. But well, like again, for me, right. Uh, here's a good one that a sim could have probably helped. I was down in Texas and I was taxing this jet. Now this air, this airfield was kind of like a U shaped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't flat. It was up on top of a hill and it kind of was a U shape, right? The ends of the runway were higher than the middle. And I had to taxi uphill, go out and do, we changed the fuel control out, <clears throat> had to go do a, a power assurance check on it, taxied all the way to the far end of the airfield to where the hammerhead was, spun around, did our checks. Was I'm coming back, the brakes gave out. Ooh, uh-oh, this is all downhill. What do I do, you know? And trial by fire, right? Dumped the buckets. Fortune, I had thrust, thrust reversers on it, so I dumped the buckets and slow myself as much as I can, cut power, um, and then I just, I, I pulled the e-brake a little bit, but really that was, that didn't do much. And so fortunately the ramp was pretty empty and I come in and I just do circles. I cut the, I killed both engines once I got into the ramp and, and just turned it in circles until I rolled to sort of a stop. Oh shit. That, that was a real but oh shit moment. That was a real oh shit moment, man. I, I, I was like. I'm pretty sure I shit my pants that day. It had to. Man. <laughs> I, mean, I would have like, like, I, like I, I took this when I got out of the seat, out of the cockpit, I took the seat with me. Like I was <laughs> clenching that hard, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, but those I mean, are I stuff where too. I'm like, that's stuff you don't get trained on. What happens in that scenario as mechanics? Well, we don't get that training. I mean, air crew right. get that training. Probably I would hope, but I didn't get that training and I'm going, I mean, what, what if I had a, what if there's more aircraft in the in the ramp? What if there's, I mean, do I roll it up the hill on the other side? But I thought about doing, okay, I'll just roll up to the other end of the taxiway. But I'm like, what happens when I get up there and I can't stop? Now I'm rolling backwards and I can't see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And 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 well, we well, I can't remember what the issue was. We finally got stopped, but we had the the what happened at the the whole like re- brake reservoir, like it, it blew a line oh. up in the back of the AV. It like ruptured a hard line and just pissed out all of its brake fluid. And it was a mess to clean up, but that was what happened. Jesus. And we had to replace both brake, brake sets because I melted them. And I think that's what ultimately stopped me is they pretty much welded the brakes together. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm picturing this in my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm picturing it in my head. I'm like, Jesus, man. Fuck. I don't, I don't know what I would have done. Like, pull the ejection seat. Fuck it. <laughs> no ejection seat in this bird. Unfortunately, it was a very small bird. Uh, I think it was a Citation Encore. Very, oh, very small. Very small jet. But yeah, it was. Uh, that was scary, man. Yeah, I, I can't. I can imagine. Yeah, so definitely, yeah, some some kind of 
sim training for that would definitely would have helped out, especially for the mechs, because I'm sure air crew has something similar to that effect, like what happens when the brake goes out, what happens when the reverse thrusters don't uh, don't work, or the flaps are uh, stuck or some shit like that. But for for the average mech, like we don't do none of this shit. Like, you know, if the brakes don't work, uh, I mean, just just kind of jiggle the stick around and just do circles until you run out of gas. I'm like, okay. <laughs> But well, that, yeah. defi- that definitely would have helped. So that's one that's one uh, time when that would have really benefited me. Um, reading, continuing reading through this article, uh, it says uh, experienced students that had previously been required to travel to attend open courses for EASA Part sixty six modular training produce better pass rates when experiencing essentially the same training delivery, but via zoom software uh, and being based at home. But to me, that says they've already gone through the training. So this is just recurrent training. They already, they've already seen it. They're already working it. I can see maybe some recurrency training, especially if you're doing some of the same jobs over and over, like, yeah, there's probably no reason to have to attend a full on course again, but, but that's only if you've, gotten the training right right <laughs> once before um so so it says notwithstanding the obvious financial advantages of not having to pay for travel and accommodation student feedback also identified the following the learning experience was less stressful as they were in their familiar environment there was less direct peer pressure encouraging more students to ask questions they were not subject to their to other distractions and stress raisers, such as being in an unfamiliar accommodation, disruption of sleep patterns, getting to and from the training center, even uh, basic things such as the sourcing of meals. Yeah. Um, but it said, interestingly, the same could not be said for apprentice new starters whose pass rates dipped slightly when training delivery was conducted remotely. It goes into what we just said, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It works if you already received the training once, but if it's your first time, like it's, that's not a, that's not fair either. Right. Right. Can't ask nobody questions. You're going, I've never seen this before. I'm reading this material, but that'd be like me coming to you on helos and okay. For you, you could do it from home because hell you've been working on it for years and whatever else, but my first time seeing it. So how right. is that? It's not, it's not a fair, it's not a fair assessment. Right. I agree. And you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's part of the finding the right approach is like, if you're a new student, it's probably more beneficial for you to actually go to a physical class or at least have some kind of hybrid where you get like the the prereqs out of the way and then you and then you then you move on to a no kidding class. Uh, and that's kind of like how some of the stuff in the military works. Not for everything, but some stuff like we send you this uh, correspondence course to kind of get you familiar with what the coursework is going to look like when you do go to the real class. So when you do go to the real one, you already have a handle of what you're supposed to be knowing. You have an idea of what certain definitions are. And then we can move we can like skip the whole introductory phase of the course and then just go right into the material. Like, okay, so you guys know what a helicopter is. So now we're gonna go into the systems. We're gonna go into the the power requirements, the safety requirements, blasey, 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 just to kind to kind of skip out all the icebreaker classes. Cause how many times you guys go into school, like the first two days is kind of like introductory stuff like um um familiar with what what safety procedures are familiar with classroom procedures are etc 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 so i i feel like for first-time students like 
it's it should be a must that you at some point in time have to sit down in a classroom. Yeah. Again, we've said this in numerous episodes, uh, finances are what drive everything. Yeah. So uh, it says uh, you must also recognize the financial challenges facing our industry on an individual and corporate basis. Factor number one, when choosing a distance learning solution is affordability. There are some uh, there are, of course, some good quality distance learning solutions out there, albeit they may not necessarily have utilized learning science as much as they might, but how many of them would an aspiring certifying technician or pilot living and working anywhere in the world be able to afford, right? So there's all types of training out there, but some of them are really good, but a lot of the times the company is not not willing to send you to those or pay for those. Um, So you're paying that out of pocket, right? So how much of those can we, can we actually afford? That's the, uh, the whole, issue behind it, I guess. Right. So like, is there going to be a time where that budget's going to increase? Probably not. And especially nope. with a lot of experience leaving because of age or medical conditions, or they're just retiring, you know, like they're just done with the work and they're moving on to other stuff. So you're, lo- so you're losing all this. And so how do you bridge the gap? And, and sadly online is probably one of the better solutions just because like if you're going to do a full on classroom you're going to need someone who knows what the hell they're saying and that might not be uh someone who's very experienced or has a better means of teaching the subject to you so i mean that's one of those give and takes but again it goes down to money like how much is a company willing to shell out and how much do they have available for you to shell out versus well, and if the if the company gives more money for training it's always more cbt's at least what I'm seeing recently. And you're like, no, like do more hands-on classes. Be, be, but again, like oftentimes your training department is, isn't filled with people who work on the vehicle or who have worked on the vehicle or whatever else. So, so that's an issue, right? And you, and it's hard to take your senior people and send them out on the floor or take them off the floor to send up and do training courses. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably what's needed. And yep. nobody's taking the time out of training to go down and learn the vehicle either. Very true. So, so something's, you know, depending on the company specifically, but something's going to have to have to change right. in those realms. Right. I, I remember this one time where like uh, I was getting like a sheet metal class from a guy who's only done one type of airframe, and but he's teaching a general sheet metal class. I'm like, Okay, so we're going to learn how to do these things. I don't know how it works for this other airframe, but this is how you do it on mine. I'm like, well, that doesn't fucking help, man. Like, I'm here to right. learn general, not how you do it. <laughs> right, but that's, like, we have a guy, he always, he's like, well, I don't know how it's done here because I'm a Navy guy, uh, but this is how we did it in the Navy. I'm like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't fit this scenario. Right. <laughs> like, this is how we did it on the boat. Like, is that how you fix the aircraft on the boat? No, no, no. I was like the boat maintainer. Like, I maintained the hull of the boat. I'm like, that doesn't fucking, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, right. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't help us. You do not help right. us. <laughs> yeah. That That's the, uh, the downfall of it. So hopefully we can get some more of the training people uh, spooled up uh, to, to do that or incentivize the lead maintainers to, pull them off the floor for and help develop some new training or 
or teach the course, right? So, mm-hmm. so the up and comers uh, are getting the most out of that that time that they are in training, right? Um, uh, again, just down to planning and everything else and schedules, right? The schedule is always going to win. So I think there's a way to do it, at least for my own program. I think there's definitely a way to achieve it. Um, but trying to get all parties involved uh, and to have the air quotes bandwidth to do this kind of stuff is, is, is more of the challenge, right? People are always the challenge. Trying to get anybody to do anything extra is... Uh, <laughs> is quite a conundrum yeah preach <laughs> preach away man <laughs> but but let you you the listeners let us know like what what do you feel is a good solution to bridge the training gap both for online and for in person with all the shortages that we're experiencing across the industry like what do you propose we could do and pl- please let us know in the comments in the in the in emails and dms and all kinds of stuff just give give us your feedback let us know what you guys think is a good yeah, solution. Or if you, yeah. And if you guys have are newer to the instrument, have pretty much solely been doing CBTs, but they've worked for you. I mean, what's the program the CBTs are? Are they really in depth? Do they, is, is it just, I guess what's, what works about it for you just, just because that's how you learn better or is it the, the platform upon which they are developed and delivered? And I guess with that, Once again, Happy New Year, everyone, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. We'd like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to continue to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners with special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Ryan Frushauer, Dan Schubert, Jenny Dignan, and the ladies of the Dick Talk and Mimosas podcast. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. Visit our shop at cancelformaintenance.com and grab some swag to show off both your support for us and your prowess as an aircraft technician. If you have ideas for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit our contact us section and send us a line. We will do what we can to get your ideas or yourself on the show. You can also follow us on social media such as on Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at Kanks, that's C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or on Twitter at CXMX Podcast. Check out some of our affiliates like Rockwell Time, where they make both rugged and classy watches to fit your lifestyle. Use the code CX4MX and save 10% off your purchase. Support us on Patreon. Our patrons get exclusive perks such as access to our Discord, discounts and early access to merch, special patron-only episodes, and so much more. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next time.